Master Cave in on Powered Strength for the powerless. Courage for the fearful. Hope and healing for wounded hearts. If you'd like to share your story or find our socials, including Patreon, go to fostercarenation.com. Hi, and welcome back to Foster Care, an unparalleled journey with Jason and Amanda. And today we have Ryan Greenwood with us. I met Ryan in a dad's group and come to find out we have more than a couple things in common. Ryan has fostered as well as does a podcast. So if you guys are listening to this, I'm going to guess that you might be listening to more than one podcast. So go over and check out Remix the Dad with Ryan Greenwood. Check his podcast out. I'm sure he would appreciate some somebody listening in over there and giving him some feedback and talking to him a little bit. But today, we're going to be here talking about kids. How are you doing today, Ryan? Man, I'm good. Thank you. And uh, thanks so much for having me on. I'm honored to be here, man. Hey, we're glad to have you. I reached out here a while back on Facebook looking for people who had fostered kids or had some experience with foster or adoption. And you hit me back and I went, I didn't know that Ryan fostered anybody. Um, then we talked a little bit and you told me that you had your, was it your great niece? Yes. My, yeah. My great niece. We, Yes, sir. All right. Now, first off, do some relationship math for me. What, what is a great niece? How does that, how does that meet in? Well, all my, all my nieces and nephews are great. Um, <laughs> but, uh, that's a little, little side joke, but, um, it's my sister's, daughter's daughter okay okay so what we have we have a family full of kids who come to who are connected in strange ways um you know one one little boy that calls me dad was my wife's half sister's half sister's little boy now i don't know what that makes him to me other than a monkey's uncle but you know awesome. <laughs> well, now it makes sense. <laughs> yeah now it's just dad you know but, but yeah, the, the relationship stuff in today's world is so much more complicated than a lot of times. So, so yeah, that's what, that's why I'm asking. I'm like, I, you, you said great niece and I'm not certain what that is. So yeah, she calls me either uh, uncle or dad sometimes. Uh, it just depends on how, how long we've been in the same room together. Cause, cause sometimes it's like, Oh, Hey uncle, how's it going? But then once we spend more time together, then it's, Oh, dad. And I don't, I don't correct her. I just let her, let, let her, let it happen. I hear you, man. That's, that's kind of the, what we learned the hard way when we first got into fostering is that by the end of day one, she is mom. By the end of day two, I am dad. Yeah. Maybe day three. I think the, I think <laughs> the face and the beard maybe make some of them hold off till day three. And then we have some that never get yeah, around yeah. to it. You know, it just kind of comes and it goes and, uh, you know, that's one of those fluid things in a kid's mind that I don't always push on. But so how did, um, how did your great niece come to stay with you? Well, there was some, there was some issues going on with her mom and a lot of, a lot of time where she was, her mom was uh, getting into some trouble or had other priorities going on and 
social services got had gotten involved and they had contacted us after, and we also told my parents to were like hey well if anything happens we'll uh, we'll take bug with us that's her nickname um we'll take bug and we also told so social services that and so they were like okay great so right around my my biological daughter's birthday they're like okay come pick up her stuff so that's that's how we got her so you have a uh, <clears throat> one biological daughter already yes and how and old she? bug yeah bug she's 10 months younger than my daughter who is now about six and a half Okay, so she had somebody about her age to play with and to fight with, just like a sibling. Yeah, man, they were they were sorority sisters, bro. They were really uh, partners in crime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they, they they're still that bond till this day. They still love each other, and they they always ask, "Hey, where's where?" And my daughter, her nickname is Llama, so where's where's Llama? And then where's Bug? So it kind of goes back and forth. Sounds like you have a farm issue going on out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How long have you and your wife been married? Well, we've been married since 2011. So, nine, yeah, nine years. I if my math is correct. <laughs> <laughs> Get you in trouble there if I ain't careful. <laughs> um, yeah. So I assume she was on board with, with the whole idea of, of taking, in, um, taking Bug in as a foster. Oh yeah, she she loves Bug and she loves uh, Bug's uh, two other sisters as well. And she just she has a huge huge heart for for these little girls. And like we were told from the courts that because they were telling us one thing, they were telling my my uh, niece another thing, and we thought we were actually going to do a finalized adoption with bug, but that didn't end up happening. But yeah, she's, she still has that, that emotional um, connection with the, with her and her sisters. So. Wow. So we're, how old were her sisters? I think one of them is about four and the other one's two. I could I could be wrong, but they're they're around that they're they're real close in age. Okay, so were they? <clears throat> let's see, we're going back to this. You said this all happened back in seven twenty seventeen, right? So that would yes, that's right. Was were they born yet? Yeah, um, the the youngest she was born. Okay, so yeah, the youngest was born in seventeen. So the youngest, youngest is about, is almost three. So Okay. Okay. So now, now where did they go? Did they stay with their mom or did they go somewhere else? Well, yeah, Bug went with us. The middle child, she went with uh, her grand, her grandma on the, on the father's side. And then the youngest actually went with my pastor and his wife um, for, for about a year. Oh wow! Okay, so, but we all but we all were working together to try and 
keep the girls to have a relationship. That's and, so important. And the, and, and the girls, and the girls know who their sisters are and all that. And which, yeah, we thought was very, very important. Absolutely. That's one of those pieces of the foster care system that is talked about a lot. And that's the, um, that sense of felt permanency. That's a huge thing. And keeping siblings together is always a goal whenever we're talking about foster placements. So that that's great that you guys were able to work together and, you know, whether or not you guys were, were close. I mean, I, I don't know what your relationship with the, the dad's uh, parents were, but I know oftentimes inside of families, there can be some in-law type issues. But if everybody can step their, their feelings aside enough to put a kid in, at the forefront of the, uh, of the situation, that, I mean, that, that's the best thing for them. So kudos to you guys for, for stepping out and doing that. Yeah, there was definitely some some friction in between family members, and I I tried keeping my uh, the, the the neutral ground, the good ground with with the grandma because she could she was a little bit hard headed sometimes, but I always tried to be like, all right, let's well, it's it's not about us, it's not a it's it's for these kids and. Also, kind of had to be the mediator between. I'm sorry. Let me close this. Had to be the had to be the mediator for um, like my my parents, my sister, and the the grandma because there was definitely some, and also uh, pastor's wife. There was some some tension and some disconnect in there and a lot of miscommunication, a lot of misunderstanding. And uh, pretty much had to say it's for the kids. Grow up, it's for the kids. <laughs> yeah, that can be a challenging thing to have to tell adults that though sometimes that, hey, you guys are being a little bit childish. Let's, let's focus on what's important. And oftentimes ego gets in the way. Very much so. So when, when you're... Uh, when she came into your house, how old was she? She was she was about two, two and a half, I believe. Okay. Two, three-year-olds, they can be challenging. Especially oh, they're some of the ruthless people in the world, man. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't found teen years yet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that... To be fair and honest, that's that's kind of the age group my wife and I have focused on with our foster journey because, I mean, well, she'll tell you it's because I can be a three-year-old at the drop of a hat. <laughs> and I'll tell you it's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> if you give me the choice of a room of 32-year-olds or one teenager, I'll give me, the, give me the, the two-year-olds, let's go. We'll have an army. We'll be assaulting an ice cream stand in no time. You know, but that, that's the yes. world. But what kind of extra friction did that bring into the house? Because, I mean, you, you already had it. You know, your daughter was, was close to that age already. So I can only imagine that had to bring some new struggles and challenges, especially with that whole not having a, a firm grasp on what the, the long-term goal was. You know, what did, what did that bring into your house? It brought a lot of uncertainty between my, me and my wife. Not Not really our relationship, but just well, what do we, what do we do next? How do we handle this situation? A um, lot of, a lot of, a lot of heartache because it, 
it, like I said, it did put a big disconnect between me and my family. Um, so, and there was a lot of bitterness and frustration, but then also just kind of on the lighter side, like instead of just one little toddler, two to two, two, three-year-old, we had two and I'd get home from work and I'd tell the girls, cause we were living in an apartment at this time. Okay. I have to pee. <laughs> go straight up the stairs, go to the door and get, get your butts inside. You know how uh, toddlers are. My like dogs when they see squirrels. Shiny. Woo. <laughs> so I ended up peeing my pants a few times on the stairs. So that, that was a, that, that was a struggle for me, <laughs> but no, yeah, it definitely, definitely there was some, some tension and some, some heartache and, and it was, it was, it was hard. It was definitely a hard time. I was going to say, how was it for your daughter having to share mom and dad now? She was cool with it for about two weeks. And then she was like, when is bug getting out of here? <laughs> but after, after a little while, she, she loved it. Like, yeah, they did fight, but then they also, they, they grew that bond together and uh, they, they shared, they shared a room and, and when she left, our daughter asked, well, when is, when is bug coming back? And we're just like, well, she's, she's back with, with, with her mommy now. And she'll, she can come stay, stay weekend. Cause she's, she comes and stays weekends with us a lot. And, but yeah, it was, it, at, at first it was, it was tough on, tough on her just kind of like all right well why why are you here why it's it's, it's kind of like when you bring another dog in the house it's like wait you what, what what are you doing here I, I like you at the dog park but uh why why, why are you here at my house now <laughs> absolutely we go through that quite a bit here we go through the other side of it though we have six kids in the house and the little girl staying with us right now she was an only child she's never been in a home with this many kids so she's kind of going through the opposite side of it. She's like, why are you here? Yeah. <laughs> it's, a little, it's a little overwhelming to her sometimes, but we're making our way. Um, right. But I was going to touch on, so you still get to visit with Bug and she still gets to come for weekends and things like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, we uh, um, that, yeah, before all this Rona, whatever you want to call it, had gone on yeah we had had her probably at least once a month for since i can remember for a weekend she comes and stays with us she'll go down to southern colorado and stay stay with our in-laws with us she'll go camping she'll get she gets to go experience uh pretty cool things with us so and we and when we we want that for her and her sisters and her sisters are old enough now we're after things kind of lighten up with all this pandemic stuff we'll be able to take them too and go do do some fun things well that's really awesome because i know sometimes dealing with families and when families have to get involved and you know they step up for kids sometimes that doesn't sit too well with the adults that are in the situation and sometimes they take that out on kids and 
you know, they use kids as punishment and as weapons, you know, oh, well, you can't see so-and-so now because you did this. And, but it sounds like you guys have a pretty, pretty decent grasp of all that. Well, yeah, there for a little bit, it kind of seemed like that was going to happen. But uh, my niece, her, the mom, her priorities changed. I don't know the full story. I can't really get into a lot of detail of what she's going through right now. But I don't, we don't go through her. We go through my, my sister, the grandma, Bug. We go, we go to her or even my mom sometimes to, to get hold of Bug and the other two girls. Because yeah, I, I honestly really don't know how to get a hold of the mom. So. Well, you know, the pretty much every child who comes into care comes into foster care because of some sort of trauma in their house. Um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, maybe some of the things that the challenges that came out of her traumas when she came to your house? Okay. I, I think it was more just more of like a neglect and, and just a bad attitude because her mom would prioritize herself and partying over taking care of the situation to help her raise these, these kids. Um, and I think also the dad, he, he wasn't around, never been around, maybe seen her just a, less than a handful of times in her whole life. So it was just kind of an abandonment issue and kind of, um, kind of challenging what, what can I get away with? What, uh, yeah, well, yeah, what, just, just, just challenging the authority of ad adults and caregivers. Um, but as we worked with her and we worked, we, we, we disciplined her and, and gave her like little, little, little kid chores, gave her stuff to do uh, so she can stay disciplined and kind of uh, stay in line. Um, really, I think really helped her out because now she loves to help. She loves to serve. She, she, her attitude is okay. I see people in help or I see, or I see people in need. I need to help. Um, and just the love that she has, I think that time with us that really grew inside of her. And then she know, and she knows who, not just my wife and I and our daughter, but also she, the other people who are, who were involved in this whole situation. She knows the people who worked hard and, 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 and tried to make a life for her. Cause we went on a, I saw her, I actually seen her on mother's day and her, she asked, she's like, uncle, can we go for a walk real quick? And she's five and a half, almost six. I was like, okay. And she's telling me all this stuff. And I'm like, wow. One, she's telling me this and she, tr she entrusts, she trusts me enough to tell me this. 
And two, just the fact that she can articulate what's going on right now in her mind. It was just, it was just a powerful thing. So yeah, just that nervous little twitchy little girl that we got originally is now this almost six-year-old who is smart, loving, compassionate, and has a serving heart. I hope that answered your question. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, that's exactly it. You know, kids go through trauma and they come into, uh, they come into our homes and then we have to understand that trauma. And if we're lucky, we can turn it around and create something beautiful out of it. And it sounds like that's exactly what happened in your home. She, she found some beauty in serving people. Yeah. Yeah. And when she, uh, and even when we get her back now, like on the weekends and stuff, we notice these little, these little characteristics and these little ticks that she has, like she'll pick at her lip or she'll, she'll still kind of challenge you to see where you're at. Uh, Are you going to let her get away with it? Are you going to, so we still see that, but I think, I believe that she's doing, doing that challenging just to kind of see, Hey, is it, is it legit? These, these kind of a, uh, a form of love, a reaching out for love. Does that make sense? It definitely does. And I mean, the other thing is in, in her mind, she, she's six now. And when she came to stay with you guys, she was like two and a half, three years old. You know, she's still probably working through some of that, you know, okay, is this home? Is this not home? Where do I fit in now? You know, because the roles have changed. She's no longer living with you. You know, so does that change your guys' relationship? Yeah. And yeah, that's a great point. Uh, I definitely, I've let off, I've let off those reins and stuff, but when it, but when it is time, cause there's, whenever, whenever our family's around, there's a lot of, there's a lot of chiefs calling the shots and Hey, rah, 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 rah. and it's hard for me and my wife to be like, okay, well, she is our responsibility. She's our, our our loved one. But right now, she doesn't need all these people yelling at her. But when the t- when the time comes for like either discipline or or whatnot, then that's when we we step in. And I I tell her all the time too. I was like, hey, you're strong, you're beautiful, but no whining. It's okay to cry though. And if you ever need me you know where to, you know where to find us. You, you can pick up your grandma's or your great grandma's phone and call, call me, hop on and call me. If if ever you need us, me and me and your aunt, we are, we're here for you. So just, just letting her know that not only reassures her, but also reassures me that, Hey, this, this little girl, she's, she's something special. I don't know if you've if you know anything about it if you've heard about it, but one of the things I've heard a lot about in current uh, vernacular around kids is the uh, trust based relational intervention, which is it was I think mostly started by a gal by the name of Karen Purvis, but it's learning to deal with traumas and realizing when you're dealing with a trauma response versus dealing with a response of a kid just being a kid, and quite frankly challenging some authority 
if you have a toddler that doesn't do that, I need you to put that in a bottle <laughs> and send it to me. <laughs> Cause I don't know how to make toddlers not yeah, do that. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but when you're dealing with kids who've been through trauma, a lot of times you will see things that will look to you like it's a, a behavior that they're choosing to do something. But oftentimes it's just that, that amyg- amygdala, I'll get it out that amygdala response that says, Hey, something's different and scary here. And I'm going to try and control the situation. So it sounds to me like she's doing really well. Um, how are you guys? I mean, I, I know that from personal experience, we've had a couple of kids who came through our house that were really close that were really like for a couple of them, we actually thought that, that they might stay long-term and it ended up, they went back to their home, which is the best thing for them. But it doesn't mean that we're not still at some point, you know, sad and we didn't have to deal with that and maybe even deal with some of our own trauma response in that as well. I'm certain when she went back home, that had to really bother you guys a bit. I mean, it, it always does. How did that affect you when she went home? Uh, well, for me, it was. Oh, my gosh. Um it de- like I said earlier, it affected my, my relationship with me, my sister, and also my parents. And because there was just so much stuff going on back and forth between the courts and the other uh, people who fostered. And I was in such a situation, like, there for a while, I couldn't be around my parents. I couldn't be around my sister. I couldn't, I felt like even I couldn't go around church because I was so, I was so embarrassed about what the kid's mom mom was doing because I was so close, because it's, yeah, my niece, my oldest niece, I was so embarrassed about what was going on and I'm just, hitting the tip of the iceberg on this, but I, yeah, I couldn't, I I felt like I was, was judged. I felt like I was embarrassed. I felt like shameful and all this stuff. And I was just worn out and I was sad when she went back and my wife, she was sad. She, because we love this little girl so much and we do anything for her and just a lot of the uncertainty that what was what was going on and her mom still was repeating those patterns still is repeating some of those patterns but we just didn't we were so busy for so long that we really didn't get a chance to grieve the loss of her not being in our home and which led to me uh, drinking a little bit more, um, diving into some other work and my wife even too, diving into projects and not, not talking about some of this stuff. And praise God that I'm talking to you guys today because I felt, I feel like it's time to break that uh, that, that that trauma break that silence in in my in my heart in my mind and also yeah and just just 
kind of a kind of a therapy man it, it was it was tough yeah that part is always difficult that you mentioned something there that i think is important to touch on and that's the fact that there is grief around that and not only is it okay that there's grief around it it's probably not okay if there's not some level of that um i say that but there are a couple of kids who left our house that when they left we kind of had a bit of a sigh of relief and i mean honestly because some kids are more challenging than others and there's one particular boy that stayed with us he was he was a teen and he had a lot of trauma stuff he never talked about and uh after he left, I mean, that was like our house took a, a collective sigh. It was just such a challenge with him in our home. And so when he left, I mean, yeah, I guess on one level, that there's pieces of that, that that we probably missed a little bit, trying to really help a kid who'd been in, in some some horrible situations. Again, he never exactly spoke about it, but you could tell that it was there. But at the same time, we've had some kids who are really close who were similar to to the situation you're talking about, you know not necessarily family, but, you know, we had two little kids who stayed for a year and a half and, and one little guy we kept from the time he was just a few days old up until his first birthday almost. And, you know, when they leave, that's a grief, you know, that's, that, that's, you know, you're losing a piece of your household. It changes who you are. And that's important to, to be able to take that time to set aside and, and spend some time grieving and do that work because without it, I mean, you, you end up with those, with those undealt with things and man, that's, that's not good for you or your family. Yeah. Um, yeah. One th- it's, it reminded me cause my pastor and his wife, they had the youngest, like pretty much right when she was born and they only thought that, Oh, maybe month or two but they ended up having her for i think a little over a year i could be wrong but i think it was a little over a year and just the attachment that they had um was it was it was beautiful attachment and they love that little girl and I, i send them pictures every once in a while just to just to just to show her her progress and stuff but yeah just like us they had to go through that that time where they had to kind of step back but then also grieve um and i think i think that's why what you guys are doing is so awesome it's because i'm not in as such in depth as you guys but I've, I've got a little bit of a taste. And then also my brother and sister-in-law, my, oh yeah, my, my wife's side, they just adopted a little boy. And it just warms my heart that people are doing this for, for, for kids, man. Whether it's just foster for a little bit or just straight up adopt, man, it's, it's, it's beautiful. Well, let me ask you this question, because now that you've been through that trauma and you felt that grief that comes afterwards, would you, it, looking back now, if you had had this view to look back on, would you have chose to do it again? Absolutely. What makes you say, uh, what makes you decide that, that that's an absolutely answer? Yes, I died. 
with that situation, I would definitely do it again, but I would probably do a couple things differently and then voice my opinion a little bit sooner than what I did to the to the to my family and then also the court system. Yeah, learn to deal with the court system. That's uh that's yeah. a whole nother animal because those guys, you know, the, the courts I mean, to their credit, they're dealing with how many different kids and how many different situations. And a lot of it comes down to the personal yeah. philosophy of the judge and what they believe is important. So that that's all a big challenge in learning how to be able to speak up there and, and sometimes speak forcefully without yeah. getting yeah. thrown out of the courtroom. <laughs> <laughs> We've seen a few people who spoke a little more forcefully than what was wise for them. Um, but we also, we've always had good judges. And the judges we've had in our area, I saw one of them, actually a couple lawyers were were misbehaving in court. And I believe as he was bouncing off the bench, he told them that if they said another word to each other and didn't talk solely to him like they were supposed to, like grown-up attorneys are supposed to do, that they were going to go visit his jail as for contempt of court. And he would be back next wow. week to hear their cases because he was very serious about, but he was very serious about kids. And he was serious about how he handled things and he didn't, didn't let things devolve in his courtroom. So that, that was, it was really a great experience working with uh, judge Frowley. He was, he was just a heck of a guy and I would not have picked a different judge. I don't think to have dealt with as much as we did over the years. He's retired now and we haven't actually had an opportunity to meet the, the judge we have in our County at this point, but I hear good yeah. things. So I'm hopeful. But yeah. learning to deal with the court system and learn to deal with children's division because so much of it is about dealing with the personalities there, the caseworkers and, and and your your lawyers and attorneys and guardian ad litems and you know so many so much of that is is determined by how your relationship with them is, goes and how they see you because if they see you as somebody who's just mad at your at the bio parent, you know in your case your niece, then they're probably going to put a little less weight behind your voice because when you are just hollering about how horrible they are and how, you know, what they're doing horrible things and it becomes a monotonous thing. But when they can see that your true care and intention is for the best interest of that child, that usually speaks volumes to them and they take you so much more seriously. Did you see that same thing in, in your court system out there? Uh, with the, with the judge and the Lawadena, whatever they're called, I forgot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. With them, I, I, I saw it. They were more understanding because they, they, I let, pretty much, I let my niece kind of speak for herself, her actions speak for herself. And like I said earlier, I, I told them it's for the kids. It's, it's for the kids. And, but the social worker that we had, she, she was flipping flipping her story flipping the coin just because she'd tell all of us one thing but then she'd tell the mom another thing and it was just getting really frustrating and so i finally in front of everybody judged um the guardian denim uh everybody i i called her out and i was like look you're you're sharing different stories different versions of what's going on in reality 
what is going on? Yes, my niece is going through all this stuff, um, trying like the parenting classes and the, the UAs and all this, this and this. But then also you're telling these people with these beautiful children, plan for adoption. You're gonna adopt. Oh, now no, it's gonna happen. You're gonna, you're gonna, she's gonna be yours. And they kept doing that, that double double-sided sword. And that yeah, I just had to say, look, what's going on? Is she is she coming with us? Are the other two going with them? Or and you and in Colorado it's uh it's a what's the what's the phrase like re, yeah yes yeah, it's, it's reunification it's reunification or re, reunite or it's it's that kind of state here and i was like well what are you gonna do either either take her back or you can give her back to to her mom or let us sign the papers right now because this is this this is ridiculous. This lady, she's put, put pretty much putting us on that Ferris wheel or the merry-go-round and saying, "Here, here's some ice cream," and then taking it away. Here, hey, here's some ice cream, taking it away. And that's pretty much what what she was doing. And my wife and I had straight up had enough of it. So after I called them out, she went the. She was like. Um, well, we'll, 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 we'll work on getting her back with her mom. And I was like, no, you, we need to do it. We need to do it right now. Like there's no, we're going to reschedule later. Yeah. We can have meetings and all that other stuff, but all we're doing is having meetings about planning meetings and stuff. So, um, so they were like, okay, well. It, it, I think it was like a week or two phase where it, where she, where she or not phase but transition where she went back with her mom, and they were doing really well for the longest time, and I think that was just because her mom was under the microscope of the system, and she was following all the requirements. She was she was she was doing what she was supposed to but then after they lifted all that stuff she just her priorities just went all haywire and wonky and my wife and i even till this day we we write stuff down what we see what what we hear just document it all because if something does happen again we just want to be ready be like hey this is this is what we've seen. This is what we've heard. This is this is our our, our witness, our statement for you about the situation. Because like I love, I'm I'm sorry, I'm getting a little passionate over here. I love I love my oldest niece, but some of her choice actions are not the greatest, and it breaks my heart to see some of the things that is going on in her world and that is affecting her her kids but her kids have such a great 
community and group around them that they are they are safe they are they're 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 learning they're they're fed they're clothed they have a warm place to stay they're shown so much love these little girls but it's just sad that their mom has different priorities other than trying to strive uh strive and thrive for these little girls that she was given you know what i hear a lot of what you're talking about is the uncertainty and uncertainty is such a huge piece in foster in the foster care system not only for us as a foster family but most specifically for the kids in the middle of it all it's such a challenge for the kids to deal with that uncertainty i mean i cannot imagine being three, four, five years old and being put in another home and, and having that <clears throat> thrust upon them in that way. It's a real challenge for the, for the kids, but it's also a challenge for us, you know, as, as you're trying to take care of a kid, because especially when you're being told that this is moving towards adoption and it's not, or it may not, because as I understand the system in Missouri, I have some decent, um, it has some decent experience with, and I would assume Colorado is probably the same, is that reunification is the, always the first goal. If we can get mom and dad to straighten their lives up and take care of a kid, and the kid grows up knowing that mom and dad loved them enough to take care of their stuff, that is the best possible solution for every kid. But when that's not a possibility, we have to find a different solution. And it's challenging for us to deal with watching somebody else walk through their stuff. And, and usually... May, not all the cases, but a vast majority, almost all the cases that me and Amanda have seen involve addiction. And there is no certainty in someone who is going through addiction. That's one of those things we've just seen flesh out time and time again. Um, we, we just, addiction is, is a, a nasty monster, especially when you get into certain drugs. In my experience, I've seen that meth and heroin are two that will just steal your soul. And it takes away your ability to, to choose to be a parent. You know, you get one opportunity to say no. And I'm not convinced you always have the second time. You, I, I'm not convinced you get the ability to say no that, that second choice or the third or the, the 15th or the 30th. Because it just gets part of the, that brain chemistry where it grabs a hold of. It's such an addictive, uh, such an addictive chemical that I don't know that we have that ability to say no at that point. And so we, as foster parents, are kind of held on the hook just watching and hoping and waiting and trying to figure out what the future looks like for us. How did your wife and you deal with that as you went through those moments of uncertainty? Well, a lot of, a lot of prayer and a lot of, a lot of talking it out, crying it out. Um, speaking with really, really good friends and mentors that we have. Um, and then even sometimes too, myself, I, with, uh, with, with beer and alcohol, I, every once in a while did, went swimming in that little, little lake of, oh, I'm just going to drown in, or I'm, I'm just going to drown my sorrows in this bottle. Um, but then also I was able to get out of, out of that and recognize, Hey, this isn't, this isn't doing me any good. Um, but yeah, and also just, we, we dove into projects and 
other stuff just to try and cope what was going on and just keeping that eye and that ear out for those girls um, and we did we did have to distance ourselves for for a little while from my family from those girls um, I had to delete my I did delete the mom off Facebook and and not even speak to her like we'd have Christmas together or in holidays but I couldn't say anything to her and I don't know what she's going through and what if she is on anything I I I really don't know and I really don't care to to know but I do I do want there's a part of me that does want to know just for the safety of those girls whenever the mom does have bug and her sisters so yeah it's just kind of that, that that waiting game just to wait and see and we're really interested to see what's gonna happen when uh when school starts for for bug like for the immunizations and uh, kindergarten and all that stuff, we're, we're really interested to see. But also it's been good because we voiced those opinions to my sister, who's the grandma, and then my mom, who's the great grandma, about stuff like that. And they were like, oh, and thank God they're responsible enough to, to go ahead and think about and start planning for some of that stuff now. So, but yeah it sounds like you know as much as there's some family struggles it sounds like you guys have a yeah. fairly decent support network for those little girls inside the family oh, yeah. and outside oh, yeah. the family those, as well those little girls are spoiled and taken care of so <laughs> <laughs> well spoiled's not always great but sometimes uh, so certain times right now now i did have uh this question though as you guys went through it, did you have a good support network? Because that's that's an important part is having a support network. That's something my wife and I have have always struggled with a little bit. You know, we we don't have a whole lot of family connection, and we don't have a big friend group. We're so busy taking care of kids in life that, man, I can't tell you the last time we went out with friends. Did you have a good support network as you guys walked through this journey? Yeah, do you uh, still have we that? do. Um, my wife, her her and her sisters and mom they they talk every every day um and yeah they talk every day so that they've got they've got a nice knit support system and when i was in the dad's edge alliance i had that and with through the dad's edge i found four other guys and we call ourselves the Hulks and we constantly talk every week, whether it's just a, Hey, what's up? How you guys doing? Or whether it's something very, very serious. And then I also have my, uh, my brother, Anthony, um, shameless plug for him. He's got Anthony's godly guidance podcast and dashboard pastor on Facebook. If you want to go check him out, uh, I've got him and his family. And then also pastor and his wife. And we, yeah, we have, we have a good, good group of people who are, who are there for us and who've 
who who are close enough to the situation and are, are able to see so we get an outside perspective and stuff but also when we when we need to just chill out and get our mind off a lot of this stuff or even just vent they're there for us and i, I couldn't ask for a better support system okay well i gotta ask i know the guys in the dad dad's <laughs> a lot of them but there's close to, there's 400 or so in there now so who is All the right. Hulks? my boy reggie shaw my boy Hello, reggie on the west coast mr chris Eternio. oh he's Everybody he, he is master splinter he's a wise fun loving dude uh top mr uh, mr tyler matthews yeah he, I don't think he's up him. in oregon um nice nice guy a very nice guy and then the other guy he he was in there like at the very beginning of of, of larry's journey with uh the dad's edge and that would be um that would oh shoot i feel terrible <laughs> What is his name? <laughs> oh, I put you on the spot. Well, he's quiet a lot on there, so. Well, <clears throat> I don't know Tyler, but the other two guys I do know, and it sounds like you're in in good company there. And Jeff Jeff Grantham, yeah, Jeff Grantham. I was gonna, I was gonna say Jeremy Riverbed, okay, but yeah. I was like, no, wait. I love you. <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> yeah uh, and and this podcast brought to you by the dead dead alliance you know we, we've talked about it quite a bit you know and if anybody's interested we'll, we'll i'll just go ahead and mention real quick there's a podcast called it was originally called the good dad project and then larry changed the name of the podcast and i can never say it right is it yeah just the, the dad's, dad's, edge? The dad's the name edge of the podcast, podcast now there you go okay i always get i always want to throw alliance in there i know that's wrong um, but the dad's edge podcast and I'll give Larry mad props because as we went through our own struggle, you know, we, we lost our daughter, our oldest daughter. Um, we're almost coming up to the five year anniversary. And I did one of the things you mentioned. I dove into the bottle and the the difference is, is, you know, you, you'd have a few beers and maybe a few too many. I dove to the deep end and I, I would pretty much regularly have one drink a night, but it was a 750 milliliter bottle of whiskey every night. I did that for, close to a year I would say and that was you know I only did it seven days a week so you know I wasn't a real alcoholic right just ask me I'd tell you I functioned <laughs> just fine and eventually, yeah, yeah yeah eventually figured out I wasn't so just fine and around the time that I was deciding I needed to quit drinking um I'd stumbled across Larry's podcast and yeah. he had Rory Fairbanks on there Another guy who I don't know if Rory has a, a podcast. I think he does. I think yeah. he has the one year no beer podcast. Yeah, he, I know he's got uh, a that definitely helped me out too. The one year no beer. That was that was my first goal. Was I just decided I was going to go drive for a year, and you know at the end of a year decided I needed more than a year, so I had to make a bigger goal and decided a thousand days, which a thousand days ended last September for me. I think twenty nineteen September twenty six. I think was actually the date. And when I got to the end of that, my life had changed enough. I went, yeah, I don't think I want to go back. I'm not mad at somebody who has a beer. You know, if you can have a beer, good on you. I can't have a beer because if I do, I'll have a, a bottle of whiskey and it'll be empty and I'll be trying to yeah. figure out where the rest of it went. So, you know, 
I, I jumped in that same place myself and I did not have a community around me. You know, as you can imagine, we were going through some pretty heavy grief there. I have teenage kids who were, you know, teen suicide's a real thing. They just watched their daughter die. They were in a horrible place. My wife was struggling mightily and I decided the only way for me to handle it was to just drink all that away. And it does a great job of killing your emotions, kills all those negative emotions, except for like anger and rage. Those, those tend to stay, but it got rid of a lot of the rest of them. And then it got rid of all the good emotions. And then it got really dark. And I realized it was time for me to, to step aside and, and, and put the alcohol away. And I haven't been back because it was just so bad for me because I did not have any kind of a group of people around me at that time. You know, my dad had just passed away just before our daughter got sick. So I literally, as he was coming home on hospice. She was going into the hospital for her, um, for her beginning of, of her journey into her disease. So, you know, I, I struggled with that and without having a community around me. So, you know, you mentioned your faith and in, in being close with your pastor. I can only imagine that has to have had a, a big impact on how and why you, you guys went into this journey the way that you did. Yeah, yeah, we couldn't find anybody to to take the little one. So they they offered. They're like, "Hey, yeah, we'll we'll we'll, we'll take her." And it it was a beautiful thing because they built that relationship with that little girl and instilled so much hope and like positivity and the gospel and the good news and just so much love in to this little girl. And like, you can still see it to this day. And also our relationship with him and his wife, my, my wife and his wife are, they, they do workouts together now and they, they talk at least once or twice a week. And me and him, we started, uh, we started a men, uh, young men's group at, for our church. So just building that relationship is what was key, man. Were you guys active in your church yeah, before we were, that? Yeah, we were pretty active. I act, um, my wife and I, we were, we were part of, we were helping the youth group. We were, we were youth leaders. And then I, I, I had to take a step back because of some other personal issues that I had. and But my wife continued um, doing the youth group. And she, uh, we, because, and we had, it's funny, because we had a uh, helpers and volunteer appreciation dinner. And they gave out little, little awards just for fun. And my wife, she, she came home with the most she she just engulfed herself in volunteering and helping out and serving um and everybody kind of gave her a hard time but it but it was really really cool and i and i took took the step back just so i can handle more stuff at home but now uh again before all the this pandemic happened we were going every sunday morning and setting up chairs setting up sound equipment because we meet at a school. So we were getting just everything set up. And before we thought it was such a chore and I'm like, oh, I really don't want to go do this. This sucks, blah, 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 whining and complaining. But then after with this whole pandemic, 
I'm sitting here, I was like, you know, I really miss going and setting up chairs and having those conversations, those really great conversations with people and laughing and hugging and all this stuff. So the, this pandemic has definitely opened our eyes to be like, hey, we have a, we, uh, to be a little bit more grateful for the, the, the opportunities that we get to serve our church and the opportunities that we get to have those conversations and build those relationships so we don't fall into the pits of when something happens or something yeah some traumatic happens and we do fall into that bottle or we fall into whatever addiction or habit that we were in before like a dog returning to its vomit we we have the accountability and those relationships to hold above water and i praise god that that we have those well that's good because that's one of the things that i see make a lot of uh situations the most successful is when you have a support group to lean in on because god knows we all need a support Amen, group. Man. well it's been great talking to you ryan do you have any anything else any parts of your journey that you really want to make sure that you share or have you have you uh have you told your story uh, i believe i believe i shared what what needed to be shared for right now and I, I, I did I did pray about this before I got on here with you and just asked God to allow me to share what what needs to be said right now. So and I and I thank you guys so much for the opportunity that I have on to just just to share and hang out with you guys on this beautiful Sunday morning. Yeah, we, we enjoy spending some time here talking about your journey. And we're just grateful that there's people out there who are willing to step outside of their comfort zone and take care of kids that need to be taken care of in moments of high need. Uh, put aside your own struggles and and move forward for what's best for the kids because that's at the end of the day, the person who's going to take care of our healthcare decisions, that's at the end of the day, the person who's going to make our social security decisions. So we need to make sure that we're raising good kids so that they don't, um, yeah, they don't end up putting yeah. us somewhere we don't want to be put. 